Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. Dr. Pascal Nguyen is America's integrative dentist. He will provide you with a weekly show to help you overcome, fix, and deal with some of your most serious health issues. The ironic thing is that most of the advice and tools he provides will not necessarily focus on your mouth. Dr. Pascal has built the nation's leading dental practice for treating general health-related issues by treating the mouth. Patients come from all over the world to have their ongoing health issues healed, and Dr. Pascal will do the same for you. Welcome to the Dr. Pascal Podcast. Um, hi, welcome to the Dr. Pascal Nguyen uh, Podcast. Um, we have a, a really amazing guest today, Irene uh, Yamku. Uh, is joining us today from Canada. Um, she's a hygienist and she is a, a really uh, an amazing list of accomplishments. Um, Irene, I'm, I'm going to make you uh, may hopefully blush a little bit and maybe uh, <laughs> tell about tell us about you know how you um, came to to become a dental hygienist and you know we want to get to know you so Maybe start with that, and um, then we'll go over some of your other accomplishments, which uh, the list is pretty long. <laughs> yeah, the 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 bio, you, you, you probably got the long one, so I appreciate you just letting me do my thing. Um, you know, it's interesting. Most people don't even know my last name because on social media, I go by Tooth Life Irene. So if okay. I ever go to like a trade show or a conference, like people will walk up to me and be like, oh my God, I follow you on Instagram. You're Tooth Life Irene. Or if I'm being introduced... Okay to like another person. And if they follow me on Instagram, it's the same yeah. things like, and this is tooth life Irene. So I've like dropped my last name altogether. And now I just go by my social media persona. Um, but yes, I'm a Canadian based dental hygienist. I live in the province of Ontario. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also a restorative dental hygienist. So that means that I get to do anything and everything restorative related aside from prepping a tooth or, um, cementing a, an implant crown, or we don't really cement anymore, but screw retain implant crown. I can't restore implants molar of the story. Um, so my practice, which, uh, we'll probably get into, uh, your question was about why I became a dental hygienist or yeah. the beginning of it. So I, I, um, I studied law before I went into dental hygiene. I played okay. tennis for FSU. So I had a full ride to FSU and um, I graduated not wanting to go into law school, which broke my mother's heart. Um, being an Eastern European only daughter, my parents are both immigrants. I'm an immigrant. Um, you know, you're either a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer mm -hmm. or a failure. And when I decided no not fresh. to... No pressure, right? Yeah, mom. Mom was a biochemist turned uh, dermatologist. Dad is an engineer and a civil a civil engineer and an architect. And like, I'm a graduate of political science and refusing to go to law school. Daughter, so I was I was a disappointment. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I got into dentistry for for by fluke. Um, I dated a boy at the time who was torn between medicine and dentistry. And he decided to go into dental school. I chose to go into dental hygiene, you know, with the white picket fence concept that one day we'll have a, a family practice and I'll be the hygienist and he'll be the dentist. And maybe one day I'll go back to dental school. Um, so that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> that the the that That's plan didn't path. happen it, but it set me on the path to um to where I am today and you know 16 years of being a dental hygienist you're right I've I've been lucky 
and I've worked hard enough to achieve a lot of different things. Um, but for the first six years, I worked like a everyday dental hygienist, clock in, clock out, you know, didn't really have the autonomy over my patients, didn't really feel like I was part of anything bigger or greater. Um, you know, I would do the three month scaling and the random SRP. And I didn't understand the value of a dental hygienist at the time, nor was I taught. Um, and, and, and it wasn't until I worked for a practice that expected more of me that it really ignited this concept of like, well, you know, I'm really part of the team and I need to engage with not only my patients, but also my team members. So I moved around a lot as a, as a hygienist six years in, I started in a pedo practice and then I went to perio. I, I worked in ortho for four years. Um, I worked in a kind of bougie cosmetic practice here in the city of Toronto in this little area called Yorkville dentist that I worked for primarily did full mouth rehab and veneer cases, mm. you know, got starstruck by some of the, the elite that came in, but, you know, I learned a lot and every place that I worked in, I, I gathered a little more information, um, that ultimately I decided to, to bring into my own practice. Unfortunately, the, the space that I wanted to work in didn't exist. Um, so I took it upon myself kind of 11 years out of being a hygienist um, to start putting together my own business plan and, and starting my own practice um, where I could incorporate all of these different elements of uh, exceptional client care, patient care. And then, you know, people started following on my journey on social media. Um, I took the podium and, you know, I deliver a lot of content on some of the elements that I, I, I speak on and that I practice advanced periotherapy, uh, laser therapy, adjunctive therapy with, I don't know, minocycline and, uh, and kind of everything in between. Uh, and it wasn't until maybe two years ago where I, I realized that there's a greater picture connecting all of these patients together you know, the lack of, of stability in, in oral structures from a young age leading into breathing and airway issues, which I know you're very passionate about. Um, how is that connected to perio? How is that connected to orthodontics, arch form, arch width, arch size? And then what does that mean for tongue posture, lip posture, facial posture, neck posture, and how is that all connected? So I mm. became an oral myofunctional therapist. Another fancy word for that is oral myologist. Um, and that's where I am today. I am, I am the hygienist that thinks about all of those things in one appointment. That's, uh, that's pretty <laughs> that's amazing. That's the six minute introduction. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, uh, you speak really well, by the way, you're very, um, eloquent. So, um, thank you. Yeah. I can see why, um, you're getting such a following, um, tooth life. Tell us a yes. little bit you know, uh, about, about what you do there and what that's about. My office or the retail brand? Uh, that's both. I guess I thought it was, uh, yeah, retail brand. <laughs> oh, they're separate, yeah. two, separate, two completely separate entities. Mm -hmm. So it's this whole, you know, the branding thing. Um, Toothlife.ca is a, is a retail company that I own and started before any of this other stuff. Um, we sell, you know, scrub caps and kind of fun merchandise oh, wow. to dental professionals. And yeah, it's a Shopify store that originally I was the, the VP of a Canadian not-for-profit called Gift from the Heart um, and an Ontario-based not-for-profit that services uh, vulnerable communities and those suffering from, you know, uh, the in inability to, to afford dental care. 
And uh, back in 2017, when I was the VP of that non-for-profit, one of my jobs was to fundraise. And unfortunately, I wasn't very good at asking people for money. Probably a reason because, you know, my parents worked so hard and asking for money was was kind of taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that I would create a product and I would create a storefront and I would encourage dental professionals to purchase through my storefront. And then a, a portion of proceeds would go back to the non-for-profit. Um, so that happened. It kind of went viral on social media. And now we've got a bigger presence globally. Um, and every year we, we support another charity. So this year we supported a mission trip um, to the Bahamas founded by a company called Glow Good, which is a whitening company partnered with the Let Love Rule Foundation that's uh, spearheaded by Lenny Kravitz. So I just got back from that mission trip in, in March, or sorry, in January. Um, and then every year before that, we, we did something else. We provided a scholarship under the um, Brown Girl RDH Association um, giving a, um, a portion of, of tuition to a dental hygienist that couldn't afford her tuition mom kind of thing. So yeah, that, that's kind of where that started. So it has its own social media following as well. And, uh, most of the time people don't even know that I own it despite our handles on Instagram and, uh, other social platforms being similar. Um, and that kind of led me to my office, which is called the tooth life studio. So I am known as tooth life, Irene, the founder of tooth life, the podcast host of the Tooth or Dare podcast, and now the you know owner operator of Tooth Life Studio, where I get to shoot a lot of my content and footage on non-patient days, of course. Um, but Tooth Life helped me raise money for my practice, so you know I got to the point where I had to go and ask the banks for money, and I knew I needed to save x amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars as my personal injection otherwise the banks wouldn't take me seriously so that i worked backwards i thought okay well how many scrub caps do i need to to sell before i can before i can afford a hundred thousand dollar personal injection to a half a million dollar loan um so it supports other organizations and it also supported me in opening my practice kind of bootstrapping very nice congratulations thanks very impressive all right. So is it uh, though? Is it really that impressive? I feel like there are a million other people doing no, much bigger no, things. <laughs> You're being modest. Oh, it's very impressive. Yeah. Good job. It's it's, it's quite impressive. Yeah. And I've never heard that from a hygienist. So that's pretty amazing. All right. Um, so we we talked a little bit, you know, before we started the, the podcast, Irene, and you know, I shared um you know, I'm a holistic dentist, so yeah. I'm also a naturopathic medical doctor. So my my interest is, you know, anything we can do in the mouth and the head and neck, really, that, that will affect the health of the patients. So I have a big passion for airways. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, myofunctional um, therapy is, is, is right up, you know, that alley. Yeah. Um, Tell us, you know, how you, you got started into that and, um, you know, and the kind of things that you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last practice that I worked in before I left to open my own practice was also a holistic practice. Dr. Okay. Dana Colson um, was the dentist that I worked for, oh, who's thanks. quite well known in the holistic world. Um, she wrote a great book that hands out to every single new patient that comes in about this mouth body mind connection mm-hmm. um, and it was and I worked for her for almost four years before I left to open my own practice um, 
where a lot of the principles of oral myofunctional therapy were implemented, but not executed to their fullest capacities. So for example, um, in orthodontics, so we, we provided at my practice and also at her practice, a significant amount of, of clear aligner therapy to widen arches. We want those nice wide horseshoe shaped arches on the upper and lower because the roof of the mouth is also the floor of the nose. Um, and the, that concept is great, although if people have uh, parafunctional habits, like they don't have good tongue posture, meaning the tongue is not touching the roof of the mouth in three different spots. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to think that, you know, this teeth together, um, the lips together, a teeth apart concept is like where we've landed. But over the course of time, we've realized that teeth actually should not be as together as we'd like them to be, although the lips should be apart or, or together versus apart. Um, we've also understood that the tongue needs to contact in three places, not just like the incisive papilla to the tip of the tongue. Um, and then what happens when we align teeth, but someone has a generalized anterior open bite or an anterior open mouth posture where they're breathing through the mouth most of the time or most of the night. And I'm sure you've spoken quite frequently about, you know, what are, what are we doing to, to alleviate those, those stressors? Well, that's where oral myofunctionally kind of sparked an interest in me because I realized we're fixing teeth, but we're not fixing habits. So we're putting the teeth in the correct positions, but what if it's the facial muscles or the facial structures that are also atrophied? Because let's say those lips have never been together. So now we're treating adults in their adult ages because we're restoring the dentition, perhaps extremely worn teeth, and we're aligning the teeth in the correct position. But then unfortunately, those teeth are relapsing because we don't have the support of the lips. So that's what kind of sparked interest in me. And I decided to go back to school. And unfortunately in that practice, it wasn't a, a system that was implemented uh, in order for me to take it one step further into oral myofunctional therapy. So the goal of an OMT is that a patient should have their tongue on their roof of their mouth, touching behind their front teeth, not their front teeth, that they should be swallowing accurately, that they should be breathing through their nose, almost 100% of the time, uh, and that their lips should be at rest and touching. So when someone says, well, what is an oral myofunctional therapist? It's kind of like a physiotherapist almost, or a personal trainer that provides you with exercises that can demonstrate what normal should look like and provide you with strategies to get you back to that normal space. Now, of course, there are other considerations like, does somebody have sleep apnea? Um, what tests are we running ahead of time to ensure that we're not forcing someone to keep their lips together, but the reality is they have a deviated septum or an occluded airway and they're not able to breathe through their nose. So it's a, it's a series of steps that require some assessment ahead of time. Uh, Did that break it down enough? <laughs> oh yeah, that's really good. That's fantastic. Um, how long did it take you to train for that? Yeah. So, uh, the original course is a couple of weekends long and there are different designations of oral myofunctional therapy. So you have to, you know, present a, a series of cases and do a bunch of different hours to be an OM or a COM different, uh, credentials that kind of follow your last name. But the first series is, you know, a couple of weekends, maybe 60 or 70 hours long. Um, each province 
will have different regulations on what their uh, credentials need to be similar to like, you know, a general dentist placing an implant. Every state province will have kind of different rules and regulations. There's a few different organizations that provide the training and the designation. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a difficult concept to understand. What is difficult is implementing it is putting together certain systems in your practice where you're able to observe and monitor patients, whether they're young children um, that are still bottle feeding, that have tongue ties or that are released tongue ties, and now you're trying to retrain the tongue, um, or you're into adult age where you're seeing a patient again that has had ortho perhaps twice or three times, and now they're coming in for another assessment because they've had multiple relapse cases. So the training isn't difficult. It's it's the the time that you have to put in with each patient and with your practice to be able to implement those systems. Are you seeing um, an age range more for, for these treatments? I mean, I know that like the, the airways and jaw disproportion things, like it's just something that we see all over the place, but you do see more children, adults, or both? A little bit of everything. I think um, once you become aware of dysfunction or what dysfunction looks like, even if you're not a trained or a myofunctional therapist, like I, I deliver a lecture on the 10 things that every dental hygienist clinically needs to know um, that might might re- might make you refer a, a patient to an oral myofunctional therapist. So looking at the attachment of the tongue, feeling the thickness of the frenums, looking at uh, lip attachment, upper and lower lip attachment. Um, I, I don't think that there's like a specific age range where you would say this person I see more of. I think it just becomes awareness. So the more of that demographic you see, the more curiosity you have of seeing different ages and demographics. The reality is Kids that are grinders and clenchers, that are mouth breathers, um, that have malocclusion, turn into teenagers that have the same problems and that turn into adults that end up having other comorbidities like sleep apnea, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and diabetes, because all of those are connected, as you know. So a mouth breather when they're little will likely continue to be a mouth breather when they're older. They'll just have a lot of other problems attached to it, as you know. There's a lot of issues that happens when we don't get enough oxygen to our brain or we have higher higher levels of CO2, hypoxia. Like, I mean, we can go through the the long list, Um, but I don't think that there should be a range. I think that we should be able to identify in all all age ranges. Thank you for that. Um, Let's say um, you, you have uh, someone that, I don't know, is five, six, seven years old. Um, what, what, the, what does your therapy look like? Ooh, it depends on what the problem is. <laughs> I mean, it, it totally depends. Let's say uh, lip posture is their problem. They can't keep their lips together for whatever reason. They're walking around, maybe they're a class two um, and they've got that like you know, anterior neck posture, Napoleon dynamite, kind of like half open mouth, um, appearance, let's say. Mm -hmm. So there are a few different, uh, exercises where you want to actually, um, loosen up the mentalis and tighten up the upper lip so that you get a little bit drop in that upper lip. So for example, one example would be using a pencil and rolling a pencil between the front teeth and the, and the front lips. So you're trying to 
purse the lips and keep the lips closed for longer periods of time. Perhaps it's facial massage that parents are able to provide, you know, laying on the couch with the child in their lap. Maybe they're watching TV or an iPad and they're applying pressure downwards on the upper on the upper lip and the folds of the upper lip in order to alleviate that lower lip. Also, um, stuffing the upper lip is, is another example where they put either, uh, cotton rolls or little rub. We have little rubber munchies that we use. Um, and that, and then you force the lips closed, applying a little bit of pressure, uh, just underneath the nose. So it, it depends. It all depends on what the, the assessment shows and the assessment might show a variety of different things. It might show this, uh, interior lip, uh, open, it might actually show uh, a forward head posture where we're then we're trying to alleviate that posture by bringing the the neck back. Um, it totally depends. There's like hundreds and hundreds of exercises. Like there's one where you have a button on a on a piece of string, and the goal is that you're using the tongue to bring the button back up until eventually it touches the outside of the lips, and then you do wow. that over and over and over again. Um, you know, you have to get creative because the reality is they're kids. So, um, you, yeah, but the way that I've done it is I have a, a YouTube, a series of videos and did, did you, do you know what Kumon is? Did you ever know what Kumon is? If any, if there are any millennials out there, like in their, in their mid to late thirties, like me, you'll know what Kumon is, but it's like a math school that you go to and you go to this math school. I went to this math school. There's like a little plastic binder that they give you that has little Velcro on it. And inside is very teeny tiny notebooks of a variety of different, um, uh, types of math, arithmetic, geometry, whatever. And it, and you have to do it in time. So you have 10 minutes to finish this one book. And if you finish this one book in 10 minutes, you get a prize or you get a sticker or you get a whatever. So or myofunctional therapy, what I've done, I've done the same thing, but I've digitized it. So I assign a series of videos that are pre-recorded and private on YouTube. And my students will watch me on the screen doing the exact same exercises as them. And they have 10 minutes to do it. Um, and then, you know, you keep adding exercises and adding exercises and they get better and better and better at them. Um, and some of them are quite hard, like folding your tongue uh, in a variety of different angles. And some people can't even tongue, touch their tongue to the roof of the mouth. So um, they do get challenging. So um, do most of your clients have to go see you like physically or some of them can, you know, I know once they start, they can do some of the therapies on their own, but do yeah. you see, um, are you able to see clients completely online type thing? So there's a, there's a portion of it that's kind of virtual, but you really do want to see and palpate and feel people and, and their structures in real life. So the initial assessments I do in person, uh, a quarterly assessment can be done in person and then everything else is done kind of virtually. Um, but every oral myofunctional therapist will have a different structure or protocol in their practice on when they assess and how they assess. I mean, what I do might be extremely different than, uh, there's a, oral myofunctional therapist on Instagram. Her name is Carly. She primarily deals with thumb sucking and pacifier users. 100%. That's all she does. She might have a different assessment than I do. Um, mm. and I mean, it's okay. As long as we derive to the same results at the end. Um, I mean, teledentistry has improved significantly, especially since COVID. So yeah, I mean, I can do things over zoom, but there's always a value to doing things in person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, 
you you talked a little bit about some of the problems that come out of you know the 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 having issues with with all that can you give us an example for example with children of, of the things that are commonly almost thought of as normal but i get problems you know and and what happens when we don't treat these things i know it could be a long list but i think that could mm. be really good question um you i know, think like that there yeah i think that there's like some um what's the word this preconceived notion that you know thumb sucking is bad or soother sucker soother sucking is bad and i mean i don't have children so i'm not an expert to say whether or not someone should or should not be allowing their child to suck their thumb or drink from a bottle for extended periods of time i can tell you what research says so it's not wrong until it becomes a problem. And that's usually when we have extended thumb sucking or bottle bottle feeding, like into this six to seven range. Um, so there are a variety of things that are normal for, for many years, but then they become abnormal if that habit is abused. Uh, and it can turn into another oral, oral uh, manifestation or another oral issue. Um, so I don't know. I think it depends a lot. I don't know how to pol politely say it, that it, it totally depends on the assessment. Um, someone that has a very wide arch that has been sucking their thumb for a long time might not show the same amount of damage that someone that has a narrow arch that's a more petite frame or face that might end up having, you know, significant crowding. Every child is going to be different. So, patients and parents often think, well, mine is going to be fine because mine is perfect. And that might be so, but without an assessment, it's difficult to tell. Mm -hmm. The reality is airway issues, as you know, is the biggest struggle and it is one of the biggest struggles in adults as well. So um, trying to alleviate some of those uh, forces, self-physics related has nothing to do with dentistry. Those forces that are pushing that palatal suture up, uh, increasing the height of the vault, and narrowing the arch, that's the struggle. So if we start to notice we have a high vault and very narrow arch, that is the time where intervention needs to start. Sometimes it's at five, sometimes it's at seven, sometimes it's at three. Um, every human is gonna be different and to kind of put people and kids and adults into buckets, I think is, is not a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everyone should be treated very differently. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the sign of a good clinician. Yeah, um, we all like a protocol, right? Like we all like a good protocol. We all want to be like, well, well, Frank Spears says this and John Coy says that. So that must be the answer for everyone. Um, and the answer might be that you use John Coy's philosophy for one person and Spears philosophy for someone else. Yeah, that's 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 Frank actually says that um, <laughs> he does like. But um, what about adults? You know, what kind of things um, do you see in adults, you know, because of, of these issues and what kind of things can you do with, the, with, with adults? Well, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier too, that kids that end up having an open mouth posture and breathing issues mm -hmm. end up being adults that have these open mouth postures and breathing issues coupled with sleep apnea, mm -hmm. higher incidence and prevalence of other comorbidities like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, high blood pressure, 
you name it, in, increased chance of having uh, a CV or strokes. Um, so what can be done once we have the tools in place and the assessments in place, like a sleep test or a sleep study, which I think is so important that anyone that snores should have a sleep test, regardless of how difficult or how many, how, how bad or how good you think it is. I mean, how many times do you hear a patient say to you, well, I only snore a little bit, or I only snore when I'm really tired or when I sleep on one side or if I've had too much to drink or whatever the reasons are, mm -hmm. I don't think any amount of snoring should be acceptable without evaluation. What do you think? Right. I agree. Upper airway restriction, you know, like doesn't even make noise necessarily and doesn't allow people to go in deep sleep as much as they should. I hundred percent agree. You shouldn't have any airway issue. I mean, really at the end of the day, how is your sleep? Right. You know? And most people think they sleep well because they just grow used to, you know, that's their new normal. Right. So they, they really don't know the difference. But if you look at the numbers, um, you know, the, the amount of, of deep sleep or sleep is not adequate. Like it's a big problem. And then that is a stressor on the body, which, you know, when you wake up with that stressor, you start off the day hungry, craving for things you shouldn't be, you know, eating. And that starts another cycle, other problems. So mm -hmm. I agree, you know, like it, no snoring. I mean, of course, it disturbs the bed partner and that shouldn't, but none of them, you know, it should be looked at. Like it should all yeah. be looked at. Agreed. I feel like it's often overlooked. And it's, you know, we all have that question on our medical history where it's like we check it off you know yeah. we go through we have a new patient come in and we go through mm -hmm. their medical history and it's like acid reflux um high blood pressure a little bit of high blood pressure or perhaps it was only once or medicated for a little time and then the medication was taken they were taken off or um temporary sodium restrictions and then the snoring question mark yeah. at the bottom where it's like snoring and it's okay so what what's changed what have you done and perhaps they have, you know, you can see that they have a wider neck, um, bigger individual. And we tiptoe around these conversations. Like we're constantly tiptoeing over talking about weight management. And for some reason, we've completely forgot about everything we've learned from school about nutritional counseling um, and looking at, at diet that can quantify what we see in the mouth. Um, but that's the thing is when we don't have the knowledge, which most of us don't until you do some form of continuing education. And we're not taught this in school. We're not taught about how to talk to patients about their breathing and airway in school. At least right. I wasn't 16 years ago. I don't know about you. Same. It was yeah. like a quick thing that we talked about. It's like, and ask your patients if they're snoring. Okay. So I asked them. Now what do we do? Yeah, <laughs> What's right. next? <laughs> yeah. Good question. Let's refer them to their family physician who also is going to say, oh, well, it's probably not as bad. Or I'll send you to the sleep clinic and we'll see what they say. Yeah. And then what? Oh, so then we're going to make a mandibular repositioner. We're going to reposition the mandible in order to allow you to have a little bit more um, oxygen when you're, when you're sleeping. Um, but is that really fixing the problem or is that just a Band-Aid solution? Yeah, Band-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> We're going down a rabbit hole. And in yeah. the end, 
we're no farther off than when we started, when we looked at that medical history that had the check mark for snoring. <laughs> Great. I suppose it's better to, to breathe a little bit more than, than not, but it's still a band-aid, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I interviewed um, Dr. Erin Elliott on my podcast. I don't know if you've heard of her before, but she speaks, yeah. uh, her and Tarun, uh, Dr. Tarun speak I know very that. Yeah, they're they're great. She's a good friend of mine. And um, we've spoken about airway stuff significantly over the last probably six years that we've known each other now. Um, and she shares her own personal story as a dentist struggling with sleep apnea. And she's not the definition of what you would expect. She's a lean, tall woman um, mm. that you wouldn't have you wouldn't assume just seeing her walk down the street fit, sure. healthy. Sure that she would be someone that suffers with sleep apnea. Um, so I think we're like categorizing people and assuming that just because people look a certain way, uh, that they're fine. Like, haven't you ever wondered why there are healthy humans, what we appear to be healthy humans walking around lean athletes that have high blood pressure or high cholesterol. It, it's yeah. some of it is genetic, right? Like, look at some of our past, or are you American? Do you live in the United States? I do. Yeah. So look at some of the past presidents that have had high blood pressure um, and, and high cholesterol and, and surgeries as well, like stent placements and, and complete arterial rebuilds, um, lean people, tall, lean, what seemingly healthy people. Um, so I think we're, we're overlooking a lot. Um. Thank you for that, Irene. Um, for people who are listening that may have no idea, like, do I have any of this? Like, um, you know, you just talked about, okay, just sometimes it could be hidden, you know, like, um, I mean, I've had triathletes that have sleep apnea, that's awful. But um, there are some people that present more at risk. Um, who, how would you, you know, describe them and what should people do if they, they, if they think they're at risk? Well, I think find, finding a dentist, I, I'm a hygienist. The reality is I can't, I can't refer people to as many places as I would like, because unfortunately it's not within my scope of practice. So I'm limited. So I, I think, do you have patients that listen to the, your podcast? Yes. Like civilians. Okay. So if you're a civilian listening to this podcast and you're not a dental human, um, I think you need to align yourself with a physician or a dentist that can work collaboratively. Um, and, and, and I say that, that two of them need to work collaboratively. Your family doctor and your dentist should be able to work collaboratively with one another. Uh, I love that I can write letters comfortably to a physician with the oral findings that I have in the mouth looking at um, those chart notes that we write, I think that we should be able to be comfortable enough sharing those with a family doctor saying that I'm seeing, you know, redness at the, in the soft palate, the junction between the soft palate and the hard palate. I'm seeing enlarged adenoids in this child. I'm seeing tonsil stones. I'm seeing whatever our lesions are that we're seeing, we should be able to, you know, our patients should know what those are. We shouldn't be silently just writing chart notes without them being involved in that process. So aligning yourself with a clinician that feels comfortable enough to admit, hey, I don't know all the answers, but I can send you to somebody who has more of those answers. I can tell you what I understand. 
and what my limitations are as a clinician and not feel like I'm any dumber than anybody else. But I'm, I just understand that I don't, I don't know enough about this to make a decision about the rest of your life. And that's what I'm seeing now. I'm seeing new patients coming into my practice that have had dentists or clinicians that they've been seeing for many years. And those conversations were just never had. And now I'm the new person that's saying all of these things that they've never heard before. And it's because the previous clinician just wasn't comfortable enough to share what they didn't know and to refer to the person that did. And I'm not saying that's me because I refer a lot of patients out too. I refer to Prosto, I refer to Perio and sometimes all of the above. Um, but that's the most important thing is having uh, a clinician, family doctor and dentist that is there to advocate for your oral health, even if that means that they're, they're not the one that sees you or treats you. Nicely said, Irene. Um, as we close up here, um, tell us, um, you know, you're, you're pretty ambitious. It looks like you're, you're involved in a lot of things. What are you working on um, or what's coming up for you? Ooh, um, hmm. Well, if I share my secrets, I'm going to have to kill you. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I think more of the same, just as I scale, um, I like to interview people on my podcast. So I'm hoping that I can have you on mine and we can kind of release these maybe at the same time, um, or, or shortly one after the other. Um, yeah, I create a lot of content on social media, tutorial videos. Um, and that's something that I feel really passionately about because, I, I learn when I create, I feel like that's an interesting, um, skill that I've, I've picked up on over the last few years. If there's something that I don't know about, I research it and then I make a video about it. Um, and perhaps that helps other people as well. I'm not sure. It seems, it seems so. Um, you know, I've got some, got some things that I'm working on. So you'll have to follow me on Instagram at toothlife.irene and see okay. how these things, see how these things evolve. Okay. Sounds good. So speaking of that, um, um, if you want to repeat that where people can follow you and also um, if, if there are people who are interested in, um, you know, seeing you for therapies, how sure. should they yeah. yeah, if you look me up on Instagram, if you type in Tooth Life, uh, I have the first three accounts. You'll see the retail brand, my personal one in the office um, and send a message there and we'll direct you to where you need to go. Um, pretty, pretty straightforward. And, you know, I'm usually at the trade shows and things. I'll be at Chicago this week and, you know, all of the big ones. So if you see me, come say hi. Will do. Thank you so much. It's been super interesting. I love what you're doing. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely follow you and support you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Irene. Thank you. Bye. Bye.